Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, co-hosting along with Bruce Kelly, my colleague up in New York, New York. And uh, we are also, we're sponsored, want to thank our sponsor this week, Schwab Asset Management. And we are talking this week to Adam Fleck, Director of Equity Research ESG at Morningstar Research Services. And we're going to talk about some uh, some ESG stuff. It's a hot topic. It's um, become a little bit of a political football or hot potato or whatever you want to call it. I crossed paths with uh, Adam uh, a week or so ago. There was a little bit of a dust up on social media. Not a dust up, I shouldn't say that. Just people kind of arguing about ESG. And uh, this 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 other Nate Geraci, who we've had on the podcast, he posted this thing, and I'm going to read it. It's just a sentence here. It's a it says asset managers love ESG because it generates fat fees and because the money is sticky. If you're buying a fund because you think it will help save the world, you're more likely to stay put if the returns are subpar. Even if the returns are subpar. Now, to be clear, that I think uh, Nate. It looked like he kind of endorsed that comment, but it was not his. He was pasting it from something else. But uh, and anyway, then uh, there was you know the typical social media chatter, and then uh, uh, Ben Johnson of uh, Morningstar reached out to me and said, "You got to talk to Adam. Adam's got all the skinny on ESG flows, data, performance, the whole shooting match." So, uh, Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, sir. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start with the state of ESG right now. I know that you look at this stuff all day long. It's been a little bit of a rough patch, hasn't it? Is that is that safe to say as far as performance and flows go? I think that's safe to say, Jeff. You know, the last year has been a lot more up and down after a lot more up prior to that. And, um, you know, when you see the flows in the last quarter, for instance, uh, one of the worst in the sustainable investing world in the U.S. that we've seen in some time, and even though the flows across the course of the year bucked the trend. Um, you know, we saw six billion outflows uh, for ESG and sustainable funds in the U.S. in the fourth quarter. That that trend, I think, is really reflective of exactly what you're talking about. You know, the political hot potato, the debate that's going on, the, the talk out of uh, certain states of ESG being woke, and yet still seeing lots of product launch, mm-hmm. a lot of push and pull. Um, and uh, I think we're, we're just starting to see early innings here of, um, you know, maybe some increased volatility in the space. How about the performance? Has the has, How's the performance been? Can you break that down for us a little bit? I know it's a, it's a big category and there's probably different ways to slice it. But do you have anything along those lines? Yeah, performance this year was, was more mixed. You know, ESG is a big tent. Uh, so there's a lot of different strategies and mindsets that, that we need to consider here. When you look at the overall broad U.S. sustainability index, it was down just under 19%, uh, 189 in 2022. That, that did outperform the parent, our, our U.S. large mid-cap index, uh, which fell about 19.5%, and, and the S&P 500, which was down a very similar number. But when you look at the large-cap broad growth index uh, from a sustainability lens, that was down more than 30%. And that significantly underperformed the um, counterpart there. You know, I think that if you look up and down, any sustainability fund that was heavily tilted towards growth, uh, heavily tilted towards, um, you know, particular technology names, and was avoiding energy, which was the best performing sector last year, 
was liable to underperform. But, you know, I said at the onset there, it's a big tent. There were certainly some ESG-focused funds um, that have different mindsets and different focus areas. You know, ones that, for instance, looked at um, uh, gender diversity, for instance, uh, the women's uh, Morningstar Women's Empowerment Index. That beat the overall market falling only 17% because they are overweight energy and underweight technology. So, uh, you know, you really need to be careful, I think, and this kind of gets to maybe some of the debate on Twitter that, that uh, others were having. How we define ESG and how we define sustainable investing, I think, is really critical because it's not uh, a single behemoth. Fees are higher on average, right? Uh, performance has been, was a little rough last year. Why the fourth quarter, though? Why was fourth the fourth quarter so significant for ESG, negatively significant? Yeah, it's a good question. It was kind of bouncing around throughout the year. You know, I think the overall market uh, was pretty rough in the fourth quarter, right? If you think about uh, sort of performance and, and what we saw to, to finish out the year. Um, I, I'd say you really started to see the, the ramp up of the anti-ESG um, commentary around the midterm elections. Um, and certainly that, that could have played a part in it. I don't want to speculate too much. I mean, these things quarter to quarter are pretty tricky. And as I said earlier, on the full year, it really bucked the trend and actually saw rising assets uh, from a flow perspective. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that weighed on, on some people's minds. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I, we definitely want to talk about the, the political or politicization of this space. Um, but when I think about outflows from something like ESG, if you're already there, you're probably already, you know, f favoring ESG one way or another. I can't, that's why, like, you know, a political conversation or a sudden political debate, you know, there's really that many people that are in there saying, I'm getting out of this because of that. But anyway, wh how, why does this have to be so political? Because it, it is, in, in my experience in this industry, in this space, doing this job in investment news, this is about as political as I've ever seen anything. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think, you know, as a, I'm a stock analyst by, by uh, title and by training, and um, when I think about the ESG world, I think a lot of traditional analysts have a bit of an uneasy relationship with ESG. And I think that's largely because, to your point, how it's been defined. You know, this focus on values, this focus on, um, you know, a more progressive agenda, perhaps, and thinking about the world in a more sustainable fashion. And that sits somewhat uneasily with analysis that focuses on dry, factual financial information like cash flows and ultimately valuation. You know, when we think about ESG from the stock research perspective, we like to say we're focused on valuation, not values. We got to think about what does the world look like in the future? What's the probability that, um, you know, some free rent that a company is currently enjoying by having a, say, low carbon tax or, you know, consumers not paying attention to certain issues, what, what free rent might they have to pay in the future because of, you know, increased regulation or changing consumer choice? That's analysis. That, that's research. That's nothing new. Putting it in this ESG camp, I think, sometimes conflates that view of risk management and analysis with more the ESG impact side, which is becoming where the industry perhaps is going somewhat. How can we invest to, to change 
behavior and change the environment in the future. And that I think is where you get a lot of the political debate. Well, the, I, I got I want one more quick question. We got to get Bruce in here, but um, the, I remember uh, this had to be, geez, 15, maybe 20 years ago, I was at some conference and there was one of these Christian values funds there. Um, maybe Ave Maria or something like that. And I was walking around the, the exhibit hall with another reporter this person wasn't from investment news, but we were just kind of walking and talking and we go up to this Ave Maria booth and we're talking to this guy and he's saying, yeah, we, we invest, you know, Ave Maria, if you're familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with them. They don't invest in uh, companies that uh, support or engage in, uh, I think, alcohol, tobacco, firearms or pornography. Uh, and so we're we're sitting there talking to this guy and the, the reporter he's like oh that's ridiculous you can never you know you, that's not how you invest you, that you got to invest in you know for the valuations and not you can't and I was just like thinking that's the way a lot of people now are kind of looking at ESG and that was kind of from the other end of the spectrum this this guy making that comment and it's I don't know. I mean, like I said, I've seen I've seen ESG and sustainable investing evolve and it's always been kind of a, you know, we're tree huggers and stuff like that. But we're at the point now where it's just like there's this whole they're calling it an anti woke backlash and stuff like that. I mean, and, and you know, the financial services industry, that's the last thing they want to wade into is a political fight and, you know, pissing off half of their potential market. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I don't know how they navigate this. I do not know how they thread this needle and and continue to stay true and try and promote ESG, but also, you know, try and you know be uh, like you said, the open to the to everybody, be a big tent in terms of um, you know market of potential investors. I think it's about ultimately information and transparency, right? ESG is is a term that gets thrown around. Sustainable investing. As you said, socially responsible investing, um, somewhat out of fashion as a term now, but still, still a term that I think is is somewhat relevant. And I think a lot of that gets conflated, um, not only in consumer and investors' minds, but frankly by financial providers as well. And you know, it, it irks me when I see funds that make promises they they can't keep. Right, this idea of greenwashing, if you want to call it at the fund level or even at the company level as well, where Companies will say, you know, we're we're helping you save the world, or we're helping you drive, uh, uh, help you sleep better at night and drive positive impact. But if you really dig into the prospectus, they're doing what you talked about: exclusionary investing. Maybe they're using a, a Sustainalytics ESG risk rating to to do some additional filtering, and that that outcome can't provide what they're promising. Now we're seeing a lot of crackdown there, right in Europe. Um, and the Article 8 and principally Article 9 funds, certainly here in the U.S., has been a big focus for the SEC. So I think we're going to see less of that going forward, but it's only clouded investors' minds. And I think that's a real detriment to ultimately what can be a great way for, I think, investors to express their preferences. You know, whether you or I or anyone agrees with what Ave Maria is doing, there's certainly a market for that. And there's folks that that want to pursue investing in a way that um, aligns with their values. And I don't think we should hold that against anyone. But I do think we need to be very clear about what people are getting and, and to your point, how much they're paying and, and exactly what the outcome should be that they should expect. Bruce Kelly, what do you have for uh, Mr. Fleck? All right, Adam, how are you today? 
Great, Bruce. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much for spending a little time here. It seems like, uh, and Jeff, you you know, chime in on this one too. It seems like uh, we're always pegging things to people debating ESG on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Wild West. <laughs> Not a debate that's easily solved in 240 characters, unfortunately. It's always a little <laughs> Twitter dust-up, some Twitter fisticuffs, you know. Yeah, people, um, people for some reason, they get behind their computer screen and keyboard and they, they just feel bigger and badder, I guess. They'll, they'll say anything. But it, Jeff, just in your mind, and Adam, I don't know how closely you pay attention to it too, but Jeff pays a lot of attention to this. And Jeff is very good on Twitter. Is, is ESG like the most debated thing on Twitter in our, in our little corner of the financial services world or universe, Jeff, do you think, or, or what? I don't know if it's the most debated, but I think it's the most polarizing in financial okay. services. And that was the thing I alluded to earlier is that, and I know, Bruce, you've been around this industry a long time too. I mean, I, I just don't remember things in the financial services industry being this this politically polarizing. And, and this seems to be something that is just building momentum. Schwab Asset Management is proud to sponsor the Investment News Podcast. In today's complex world, Schwab Asset Management provides a simple, straightforward approach to investing. As one of the largest and most experienced asset managers, they offer low-cost core ETFs for building the foundation of a diversified portfolio. Their focused lineup, which includes market cap index and strategic beta ETFs, is a reflection of a commitment to deliver exceptional experiences to investors and the financial professionals who serve them. Learn more at schwabassetmanagement.com backslash ETFs. That's schwabassetmanagement.com backslash ETFs. Adam, could you just speak a little bit about, I guess it's the state of Florida, right? And Governor DeSantis down there, Mm -hmm. he's priming, it looks like he's priming himself for a run for the Republican nomination for president. And he stands on an anti-woke you know, platform. He loves to say, talk about that. And I guess Florida's pulling money out of a BlackRock uh, ESG fund. Yeah. What's going on with that? Could you just give us some of the, the, the political background? Yeah, absolutely. I think really reflects on, you know, the earlier point I made about this conflation between risk and impact. And I think a lot of the political debate and a lot of the kind of anti-woke uh, versus progressive debate that happens within the ESG realm is squarely focused on the impact side. Are you investing in companies that can be seen as doing good, however we might come to define that, but good things aligned to, say, a you know, UNS uh, Sustainable Development Goal, an SGG, or you know, some sort of lower carbon environment or uh, gender diversity, however you want to define good in that sense. Are you investing in companies or funds that are pursuing that? That's that's a measure of impact that I think you're going to have ideological differences across the political spectrum um, that, you know, when you start talking about investments, you start talking about returns. Remember, these are both return seeking goals, you know, ESG risk consideration. That's the whole point of investing, isn't it? hundred <laughs> percent. And so when you start thinking about, well, you're only investing in this company is the accusation because you're wanting to put money into a company or, or provide them capital in some way that will pursue a goal that is aligned with your political beliefs and 
considering ESG is only considering that final end impact, the inward out, the company's impact on the world, and has nothing to do with um, the underlying returns or the financial analysis. So therefore, you shouldn't be doing right. it. That's, I mean, you know, this is not a new summary of the debate, but just to really um, well, put the debate where it is now. Did Florida actually pull money out of BlackRock, or did it not pull money out of BlackRock? I'm not sure where they stand on that right now, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> I know that it's, um, if you look at Florida, uh, Texas certainly has gone down the path of, right. um, you know, similar sort of uh, uh, muni deals and, um you know, uh, I think West Virginia might be in that as well. Um, you know, there's a number of states that are have taken action or are threatening to take action. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I think it's a bit of a, a straw man in some ways, right? If, if you think about ESG from the perspective like we do, and you think about, look, that impact side is really um, investor preference. And, you know, giving investors the option to invest in, in companies that are impact aligned or in some way aligned with their own values is fine, but it doesn't excuse the the financial manager or maybe even the investor themselves from considering what is an appropriate return for themselves. Um, and if you think about risk integration with ESG, that, like I said earlier, that's nothing new. You know, I used to cover Coca-Cola and I had to think about water usage. I had to think about obesity and the potential for sugary beverage taxes. Think about carbon emissions of the delivery fleet. All those things could face some backlash, could face some level of regulatory consumer employee risk. But we didn't call it ESG at the time, you know, when I was covering that company right. 10 years ago. Um, the fact that we stick three letters on it out of 26 now kind of highlights those in a way that I think, uh, you know, ignores the context sometimes. Um, so it's really easy to sit there and say, you know, we don't, we shouldn't invest in these companies because they are doing things we don't like. But that's a different argument than we shouldn't invest in these companies because we don't think the financial return is sufficient. I think ESG can still fit that latter argument, certainly. Um, and I think we're getting more and more information related to particularly environmental and social concerns. And I think it's becoming more top of mind for investors. You know, we did a survey of asset owners uh, you know, about five or six months ago now. And we found that um, 85% said ESG information is at least fairly material to their overall portfolio. So I think, you know, the asset owners, the investors at the end of the day realize that we can't put our heads under the rock here and just ignore what is becoming an increasing focus. Um, but, you know, at the, at the same time, Investor preference will always differ when it comes to how to structure a portfolio, and that's what makes a market, I think. Was it you or Jeff Adam who said there were $6 billion in outflows? Yeah, that was me in the U.S., that's right. Where did, the, where did the money go, and was that surprising to you at all? Well, I think overall, um, when you look at the overall market, I think there was um, outflows. Right. So, you know, whether it uh, went into other asset classes, perhaps out of the U.S., I, I I'm not or sure cash, exactly. You know, or mean, cash. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it could be. Um, it was interesting, though. The the um, to your point on um, uh, BlackRock, the iShares uh, ESG fund was one of the uh, primary losers in that. So when you look at the, you know, uh, one of my colleagues uh, put up a great article about this uh, recently, and when you look at the total six billion in outflows, two funds 
were responsible for uh, nearly half of that. One was the iShares ESG Aware, um, and then one was the Parnassus Core Equity. So there is a lot of top heaviness to the to those outflows, um, and uh, we you know there was some um, that actually saw inflows. So the Vanguard ESG US Stock ETF, for instance, which is one of the cheapest at uh, nine basis points, uh, actually saw inflows, for instance. So it's um, it's sort of a tricky situation to just lump them all together and say, this is good, this is bad, here's the outflows, here are the inflows. You really need to, I think, dig into some of the specificities there. Well, I think in conversations we've had here and just general reporting, people like the idea of getting 4% plus in cash. You know? Sure, sure. Um, so why not put that there after such a drought in getting anything out of cash? Well, and that's exactly what... That's right. And that's exactly what we've seen. I mean, that's the intended impact, certainly, I think, in some ways of, you know, when we rewind a year, um, the market has gone from, um, you know, pretty fully to maybe overvalued to slightly undervalued now after, um, you know, some recent rebound here. The, uh, the interesting part from an ESG perspective is that uh, here in the U.S., the lower ESG risk stocks, so Sustainalytics, I have colleagues at, at Sustainalytics, which put out ESG risk ratings. So how risky is this company specifically from ESG alone? And the lower ESG risk stocks are actually cheaper than the higher ESG risk stocks. And that's exactly the opposite of what it was a year ago when people were really, I think, paying up and chasing some of those lower ESG risks, those kind of uh, feel-good stories, right? Now, a lot of that, and this is the tricky part with using ESG as a sole factor, a lot of that sector. So technology uh, has done very poorly. Um, you know, if you think about telecom suffering, uh, well, energy, utilities, industrials, these companies have done well. Um, and those latter companies and those industries are the ones that tend to have higher ESG risk, right? They just tend to be more exposed to things like carbon issues or occupational health and safety or, um, or social problems. Um, whereas, you know, technology companies tend to be rightly or wrongly seen as lower ESG risk. So there's definitely some sector tilt going in on in here too, uh, which only probably clouds the matter. But nonetheless, it's interesting from a valuation standpoint, you know, you don't want to go out and overpay just to you know, chase a positive ESG story, you're just trading one risk for another at that point, I think. And last one before we kick it back over to Jeff. Um, what are you hearing from your financial advisor clients about all this stuff? Were they swayed by this political debate at all? Um, I would imagine yeah. if they were already investing in ESG, they wouldn't really give a hoot what Texas or, or Florida, uh, what their pension fund, philosophy, you know, what the investment management team at the pension fund was saying uh, one way or the other about, about these types of uh, products. Generally, what we hear is that the interest level on ESG is rising, but it's rising in particular, probably not surprisingly, among younger investors and younger clients. And so the, the generational wealth transfer that's really ongoing and, and continuing to come as baby boomers retire, transfer their wealth um, to uh, you know, Gen X and millennials, those investors are much more interested in ESG in the certainly the impact side of it, but also just the consideration, uh, especially from a carbon perspective, um, in the investments that they're making. 
And so the financial advisors that we work with are increasingly looking for information about how we're measuring that ESG risk, how we're measuring that ESG impact, how they can and help. And carbon align. in particular. And carbon in particular. That's that's predominantly the number one uh, discussion point, it seems like. Huh. You know, with, with really all of our clients that we work with and investors is, is carbon. Is there a carbon product? Is there like a carbon focused? Yeah, there are. Certainly, there are lots of carbon-focused products. I don't want to endorse a single one necessarily, but uh, there's lots of funds um, that uh, you know pursue uh, uh, low-carbon um, investments, or perhaps uh, you know would focus on on green energy um, as another strategy. It really again runs the gamut, right? You've got some that are solely in clean energy. You've got some that are looking for best in class. Uh, so maybe they'll invest in what they think is the best oil and gas company for the transition to a lower carbon environment, but they'll still be in oil and gas. And again, I think that's really important for investors to understand the strategy there. Uh, you know, if you're really someone that wants to avoid oil and gas and you buy what is labeled as a low carbon fund, and it turns out they own a bunch of oil and gas companies because they still think they're best in class, it might be disappointing to some folks. Um, so you got to be a little careful there. But it works the other way, too. There was, interestingly, an anti-ESG fund that was launched um, not too long ago. Uh, DRLL was the uh, was a ticker drill, uh, the Strive U.S. Energy. But what's interesting there is that they are supporting fossil fuels. But, you know, a lot of the criticism that you see in the ESG funds of really just sometimes being high cost index trackers is not dissimilar to this fund. You're paying 40 plus bips to get, you know, a, a large overlap with the underlying energy benchmark. So you got to be careful, really, on, on both sides of the preference spectrum there, I think. All right. That's great. Jeff, back to you, man. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, that, that's that Strive company. I was just down in Miami earlier this week in, at uh, an ETF conference, and I talked to the those folks. And, and one thing that they... They do. I know they kind of get flagged out as being anti-ESG or anti-woke. All they do is they say valuation is our number one priority. We're not looking at any of this other stuff. But but that kind of gets into that a little bit of what you were talking about, Adam, earlier when you were talking about when you worked uh, and you, as an analyst and you would look at, I think you said Coca-Cola, and had to look at some of the, the other things that you had to consider that were maybe a little bit off the traditional balance sheet breakdown. Um, and and I, I liked how you said that, you know, ESG are just three of 26 letters in the alphabet. And I, I was thinking, you know, what if instead of we had, instead of having ESG as this big brand and movement and everything, somebody just suddenly discovered corporate governance as something that would be worth looking at in, on, you know, when you look at publicly traded companies. And I know that Analysts have you know factored in corporate governance for a long time, but that's kind of how I see the the factors of ESG. If you just incorporate these things, they all they, it's all good information. Um, but I think you know the the whole politicization of it is all is when when things become kind of all or none. I mean, do you do you Adam think that? we could there's a there's a there's a way to get beyond this this politicization of of esg i think so i agree with your points jeff and um i I think it's interesting you know i don't think you know when i think about analyzing balance sheets like you said or 
earning streams from selling XYZ widget. You know, there's not that same politicization because there's not the same political capital behind it. There's not the same uh, uh, progressive goals behind it. In many cases, these are focused on big systematic issues that people's jobs, livelihoods, and uh, really political ideologic, uh, ideologic uh, positions are at stake, right? You know, you think about climate change or uh, gender diversity or um, uh, data privacy and security, right? Um, human capital broadly. These are big issues that I can understand how they become politicized pretty quickly uh, because they're, they're policy points, right? So I think it's tough to get away from that entirely. But politics is not new to investing at the same time. You know, we've had to think about regulatory environments, uh, you know, think about being a healthcare analyst, um, you know, for a long time, for instance. You know, whether there's gyration and sort of saber rattling going on throughout any of these, I think as analysts, we're always trying to take sort of that quintessential cool, cold, analytical perspective and think about what's the likelihood that some of this stuff will actually lead to changes in policy or changes in consumer behavior? And what does it mean for what I should pay for this stock? And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And, and, you know, to the point earlier, the more information we get as analysts, we want consistent and comparable information. And as ES and G become more prevalent, we're likely to get that information. And that's only going to be helpful to us and properly assessing and pricing that risk. Okay, Adam, we got to uh, continue our tradition here over the past uh, few weeks of postseason NFL football. We got a Super Bowl coming up in a few days, and and you're in a unique position of we're recording this on a Thursday before the Super Bowl, but this podcast will post uh, the Monday after the Super Bowl. So we're asking you to uh, give us a give us a prediction: Philadelphia, Kansas City. What do you see in there? Well, I'm a big Lions fan. Uh, All right, so. Uh, the, the, the Lions in this sentence might be the closest they get to the Super Bowl in a while, to be honest with you. But uh, I'm also a big Notre Dame fan. Uh, there's one Notre Dame player in the Super Bowl. I had to look it up, unfortunately. Uh, Ian Book, the third-string quarterback for the Eagles. Uh, so I guess i got to go with the Eagles. I don't think he's going to see the field, but uh, uh, you know, it would be great for him to get a ring. That's excellent, and that's really good trivia. So thank you for that. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Hey, Bruce, why don't you got a prediction? We haven't even, You and I haven't even thrown ours out there yet. Uh, I'll say the Chiefs by six, 20 to 14. Okay, I'm going to go uh, Eagles, 37-34, high-scoring shootout. Mm, wow. All right, Adam, the last thing I want to ask you is uh, where can our audience uh, find some of your excellent research on these topics? Yeah, absolutely. Morningstar.com would be the primary uh, spot where we're publishing lots of research on stocks, mutual funds, ESG, sustainable investing, all of the above. Um, we have tons of content every day, and uh, just from the stock side, cover about 1,500 companies globally. So uh, please check it out. Well, thank you very much. Adam Fleck, Director of Equity Research ESG at Morningstar Research Services. Thanks, Jeff. Launching every Monday. It's another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our special guest this week, Adam Fleck from Morningstar. We also want to thank our producer, Angelica Hester and Schwab Asset Management, our sponsor this week. 
You can find the podcast at investmentnews.com. Of course, you can also get it at Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. You can reach out uh, and harangue Jeff about ESG on Twitter. His handle is at Benji Writer. Uh, my handle is at BD News Guy. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to you next week. 